Akili companies, they are all about the Keelian culture and they know people are the most important asset. Recently, Keeley Companies entered a new chapter of their organization and underwent an entire corporate rebrand driven by the same mission and core values. Keeley Companies is a family-owned enterprise of companies across the country. They act as your single source for investment, development, management, construction, and restoration. They are still the same Keeley you know and you love. Just with a fresh, streamlined look, and new additions to the family. Who knows? Maybe you'll see the Keeley K around your time. And when you do, go on in, shake their hand, and tell them John O'Leary sent you. My friends, to learn more about the work they do and where they are, visit them online at KeeleyCompanies.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire, He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. If you are like me or many of my friends, family members, many of our listeners, you probably feel like there were things you used to do as a child, talents, gifts, hobbies that you loved that you just don't have time for anymore. Work made you busy, life made you busy for the parents and the grandparents and the guardians of the room, maybe kids made you busy. Well, our guest today, her name is Zigbee Owens, is the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And she should know this because she is the mother of four children. She has no time to read books. And yet that passion that she had as a child reading Charlotte's Web, the tears that she wept the first time she found out how that book ended, has moved her, his life has gotten more complicated, more difficult, filled with ups and downs and children's responsibilities to again find that passion and the time to read books. Zippy's gonna remind you with infectious energy and tasteful authenticity and a steadfast support that whatever you are in life, you haven't yet missed your boat. You haven't missed the chance to take the next right step in your journey. You see, with Zigbee, while raising these four children and going through some profound losses and the difficulties that we adults so frequently face in life, she turned not only back to books, but celebrating that through a podcast, through her own book, through a media channel. And today she's going to remind you what is possible in your life. This is an incredibly accomplished lady who refuses to brag on herself. Instead, we're gonna spend the remainder of our time together talking through her life story, what she's learned, but far more importantly, my friends, what it means to you. So without further ado, let me introduce you right now to my friend and soon to be yours. Her name is Zibby Owens. Zibby, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. I am so honored to be here. Thank you for having me. This is a delight. We, we've already been partying together for about 35 minutes before I hit record. It's the one job I have, and I finally remembered to do it. If you had an opportunity to bump into someone at a grocery store, they said, Zibby, that sounds familiar. What do you do? Tell me about you, Zibby. How would you introduce yourself? I have actually been struggling with that recently. 
Uh, usually I just say something vague, like I'm in the literary world, but if they probe further, I'll say, well, I'm an author and I'm a podcaster of a daily literary podcast. And I started a publishing company and I'm a book fluencer, but mostly I just love books and mostly I'm just a mom of four. That was what I was going to ask you when you're not in the publishing world, what keeps you busy? Oh my gosh, my kids. And I have a dog, a lab, and then I just adopted a puppy. So I, I, I love caring for things and people. And I'm just like, yes, I'll do this and I will figure it out. So that's mostly what I'm doing. I'm with my family. So you're with your family and I want to talk about your family, but not yet the family that you are currently taking care of. I want to go back in time a little bit. Talk about your family of origin. I think it's a really fascinating aspect of how you show up today. My life growing up, well, it really starts in the previous generation, which I can quickly summarize. I came from, on all sides of my family, entrepreneurial men who made a difference with the little that they had when they were born and ended up building great things. Actually, my grandparents, my dad, um, I come from this long line of really hardworking, entrepreneurial, smart guys, and I'm delighted. And also really witty women who in probably a different era would have taken over the world. On my mother's side, my grandfather was born in Connecticut to very poor Hungarian immigrants and wanted to go to Yale, which was very close by, got in, they gave him no scholarship money, so he couldn't afford to go, ended up going to Oberlin. Oberlin had given him a, a full ride and he had to work several jobs, including cleaning bathrooms and all the rest uh, while he was trying to excel at his studies. Often he was working so much that he didn't have time to, to work as long as he wanted. So he met this very nice janitor in the library who he convinced to leave the lights on longer for him so he could study even later into the night. Fast forward, he ended up getting into law school. Uh, he wanted to go into banking, but at the time of World War II, the sentiment on Wall Street was not one very hospitable to Jewish immigrants. And so he headed into retail at the advice of a professor by a stroke of hard work and luck and all the rest that makes success. He built a bunch of businesses up into um, a publicly traded company, this one company he made, which literally manufactured trailer window parts and took that company public and ended up being able to donate a humanities center to Oberlin many decades later. And in his speech, he thanked the janitor for leaving the lights on. So that was my grandfather on that side. And on my father's side, they also were poor immigrants this time from Austria. Uh, and they came over and opened a very small dry goods store, towels, linens, that type of thing. And my great-grandfather ran it. And then my grandfather ran it. And then my dad and my uncles had to work in the store all the time. My dad wanted him to turn it into Bed Bath & Beyond. And he was like, I'm happy with the one store. And so in reaction to that, my dad was like, no, no, I want to build an empire. I want to expand everything and this and that. And, and he didn't want to work in the store anymore. He wanted to have free time. So anyway, he went to college and business school and worked incredibly hard and ended up starting his own business, which has become a very large private equity asset manager firm through relentless hard work. He has built that into this whole big business, similar to what he wished his dad had done. So that is my family of origin. And my mom, I mean, I could go on, but my grandmother, one from Ukraine, one from mm -hmm. Germany, all Jewish. Um, one was born to a single mother, I have one grandmother who I called Gagi, who was, was born in a slightly more affluent uh, situation with a stockbroker for a father. She married and then divorced my grandfather. Um, 
but basically everybody just pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and used their intellectual capabilities to make a difference and tried really hard and just never gave up. And that is where I come, I come from. I'm the beneficiary of all of this hard work and success in my life. I could have been born into a very different with the same people, a very different situation, but by luck of all of this and marriages and all the rest, I have been born into this, this really lucky life. So I have won some sort of genetic lottery. Um, I will say. Congratulations on the, on, on pulling the right numbers. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. By having you on our show today, although you won the lottery, you were an extraordinarily quiet kid. You're well-spoken today. You put yourself out there unapologetically, but as a child, not so much. Not so much at all. I was very shy, very anxious. I still am very anxious, but I'm, I'm 45 now. I've figured out ways to cope. Um, but yes, it was really hard for me to speak, especially when I got into high school and there were guys involved and parties and this and that. And I, I wanted to speak. I had so much I wanted to say. And I just could not get the words out. And I remember just having to sit in groups and I was just analyzing conversation patterns and thinking, how are they doing this? How did she just know to say that? How did he know to say that? How are they so relaxed about it? Um, but I do think that observation and analysis has helped me over time. And I've poured a lot of it into writing. Uh, I couldn't speak. And so I wrote, I wrote all the time and I wrote essays and stories ever since I could write, but as the quietness or Ex was exacerbated. I wrote even more um, just to get the thoughts out. Now it's all aligned and I can speak <laughs> freely to you today, which is a joy, but uh, it was hard. It was, it was hard. It, it seems like you had a couple love affairs growing up. One of them was with books. And I, I loved it because the first book I can remember crying to, as my father read it, was Charlotte's Web. So uh, whether you want to talk about Charlotte's Web or you want to talk about your passion for books, talk about either. No, it's so funny. Yeah. Charlotte's Web was the first book that made me cry. I didn't know that books could make you cry. It hadn't occurred to me. But when I finished reading that and I remember it like it was yesterday, so vividly after dark in the bathroom, because I was trying to sneak, I always used to stay up late to sneak books, you know, rebel that I was, it made such a difference. And I was like, wow, books can make me cry. I have tears on the pages of this book now. How mm -hmm. I didn't know books could do that. I want to do that. I want to make people feel and think, and I want to feel that again. I want to get that jolt of connection and loss. Like I felt that grief profoundly from reading the story. It sounds ridiculous, but, um, I really did. I actually, one of my daughters is the same way. And, you know, we showed her Marley and me, the movie, she cried for like two days straight, you know, and I'm like, I get it. I totally yes. get it. And I've given you this, you know, raw sensitivity, uh, sorry, uh, pluses and minuses, but, uh, but yes, but books, um, that was the beginning. I mean, I had already loved books prior to that, but that was when I just craved books as I still do. I, there is something, it's like this treasure hunt in every book. What is, where, where is it going to take me? And where, what am I going to feel? What am I going to learn? I, I view them as these like little magic boxes. And mm -hmm. it's not like reading needs a rebrand or anything, but I find them so exciting, even though they look just like passive objects. The fact that they can transport you emotionally, that it's one person's thoughts dumped into my brain. And the fact that I can write my own and dump it into someone else's, it's just amazing. It's like body swapping. So anyway, I, I have always been attracted to books of all kinds and um, have now sort of dedicated my professional life to that. 
So I mentioned there were two love affairs you had kind of growing up. You still have the love affair with books. You had a love affair. You wrote about it, I believe, chapter three with alcohol. You were introduced to it at a young age. Uh, what did it do for you? And what did you find uh, as the benefit of it? Yes. You know, it's funny because I remember in college, someone met me and I was like, oh, no, I've been drinking since eighth grade or something. And they're like, you, you don't strike me as like a big drinker. And I, the reason I started drinking, well, I was at a party and beer was there and there was this slow motion scene where somebody threw me a beer and my mom's like in my head saying, nurse it, just nurse the beer. Don't really drink it. But I did drink it. And I realized it unlocked the, the voice box that was so paralyzed for me that once I had alcohol in my system, I could talk, I could relax, I could be funny, I could be me, and I needed it. I think ideally I would have been introduced some, to some sort of medication that was yoga. not <laughs> yeah, yoga, mindfulness, I don't Zoloft, I don't something at an earlier age that that would have addressed the profound anxiety I had. But this was my medication. This is how I learned to to deal with it. I'm not proud of it and you know, at times I used it more than others, but it wasn't the type of thing that I was doing alone at home. That was that would have been useless, right? That would have had no utility for me. It was only something that I need, needed socially to, to get past that. Um, so yeah, I did, I did drink a lot. I'm sort of embarrassed to let my kids know, <laughs> know that now, but, uh, but it's true. And I understand why I did it. And, um, now I drink socially just like anybody else and not, not even very much, but that was what I needed at that time. So that is what you needed at that time. And it seems like in addition to that and books, one of the other things you needed at that time and throughout your life are dear friends. You've had them up and down, but you've also experienced some profound losses along the way. Would you would you talk about your college roommate? Yes, I would love to. My college roommate, Stacy Sanders, I met her the very first day of school. My mom met her first. She was like, oh, I just met this adorable girl and I know you're going to be friends. And I was like, oh, mom, <laughs> like, let me make my own friends stop. My mom, she's like that. I, that could be a whole nother podcast, but I'll, I won't go there. Stacy was amazing. She was so confident. She'd already been away at boarding school for many years. I was very nervous. I got very homesick, even going to sleepaway camp. I'm a homebody really. She was on the crew team. She was like, follow me. Let's do this. Like, here's my rug. Here's my, come plop yourself down. Let me show you the ropes. And she really did. She was outgoing and confident and for whatever reason, the two of us just really clicked and became really close friends. She had many close friends, but the two of us had something special. And we lived together in this tiny room the second year. And then we moved off campus together. We lived together after school. We were constantly in touch and I think complimented each other really nicely. Um, but she just had the brightest light ever and was so funny and irreverent and spontaneous. And I was not like that especially then I, I wish I could meet her now. And I say that because, um, as you alluded to a little bit, um, so Stacy, Stacy and I took our boards to get, go to business school at the same time. We were both going to go to school, hopefully together. And she decided at the last minute to stay home for another year. She'd gotten a new job in the world trade center. So she decided to stay in New York another year. I decided to go on to Harvard business school and with the hope that maybe she would follow and not two weeks after I got to school was 9-11 and she vanished without a trace. We believe that she, her floor where her office was, was exactly where the first plane hit. Uh, everybody on that floor died. And our, our best guess based on the timeline recreated that day is that that's exactly where she was at that time. 
I've consulted a couple mediums since then who have had different interpretations. And in fact, she could have been anywhere. She could have been in the lobby. She could have been getting a cup of coffee. She could have been visiting a friend. I'll never know. I've spent years, you know, thinking about this, worrying about it, but she didn't make it that day. And I, uh, was very involved in trying to find her back when people thought that people had survived 9-11 and, um, and then became very involved with her death and having to extract the living, <laughs> the, de- the dead from the living. I mean, it's a, it, at age 25, it was unreal for me to have a best friend who disappeared and whose clothes I had to then pack out of the apartment and then unpack eventually at her mom's house, her parents' house. And uh, there was this one strand of hair I found on an abandoned sweater that I was unpacking of hers. And I remember just sinking down to my knees in the basement and just holding it up to the light and thinking like, how is it possible that this one hair is all that is left of her on earth? Like, how can this happen? Anyway, um, I miss her very much. I miss her every day. And uh, her, the loss of her has changed my life. Um, ironically, I'm probably more like her right now than I've been in my entire life. Um, and I feel like we would be having the best time being friends right now too, but, um, that, that was, that was Stacy. So you and I are almost the same age and, and the experiences you have books that you were reading, the music that you're listening to the life that you're leading, there's so much overlap between, uh, your life and mine to, to a degree. September 12th, what I remember about it is, is I, I came into work. I was an entrepreneur working on my own in this construction site, actually, at the time. Walked in, looked around and realized, what, what am I even doing here? I just like drove around and wasted the day and recognized like my, my life will never be the same. Yep. On September 12th, you go into business school. Everyone else is sitting there getting ready to go to work, you know, learn about how to, how to graduate and excel in life and in work and, you know, maybe make it big in Manhattan. And the, 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 uh, the teacher, the instructor gives everybody permission. Listen, I recognize life changed profoundly yesterday. If you aren't yeah. ready to be here yet, you may leave. Everyone else in the classroom stayed, but you stood up, you walked out and you drove to Stacy's parents' house. I'm, I'm just curious, what was it like when you came into her mom and dad's house? Hearing you recount it gives me the chills. Um, Oh, it was terrible. I mean, it was just surreal. The whole day was surreal. Everybody just sitting there at school. And that was one of the the things I just sort of had another, had a hard time grappling with is that life could go on for everyone. And obviously 9-11 was not, it didn't just happen to me, right? It happened to the world, but people could open up their laptops and keep going. And I could not do that for me. Like every molecule on the planet had shifted and would never be the same. Um, so yes, I got up at a class and I quickly packed a bag and I got on the road and they had, there was a no travel advisory. I was the only one on I-95 in my little car, sort of hunched forward, not the best driver anyway, just like feeling like I was literally on another planet. And then I got to Stacy's parents' house. Her, her mom just could not even look at me. She was just, oh, it was so heartbreaking. I just like sat there with her and it was just horrific. And mm-hmm. I left shortly thereafter to try to find her and go into the city. And that was also surreal with tanks everywhere. And oh my gosh, it was just like the world was a new place. And it certainly was very different than the campus life I was supposed to be living. I tried to drop out maybe a few weeks later, but there was almost nowhere that was the right place for me to be. You know, I wanted to go back to New York, but my parents and everybody were like, it's not good to be here either. Like it's bad everywhere. 
like when there's something upsetting you, there's really no good place to be. Yeah. It's not about the place, right? It's about inside. So I thought of your grandfather and the janitor when I read around, read about Steve Nelson. <laughs> who, who is Steven Nelson? Yes, Steve Nelson. I know. I really need to call him and send him a copy of this book, actually. Um, I should do I'm going to do that after I get off this. Yes, he was so nice. He was um, one of the, the deans of the school. And he's who happened to be in the office when I came in there to drop out. And he could have been like, okay, see you later. But instead he was so calm and he came around his desk and was just like, okay, like, let's give you the help that you need. How can I help you? Like, let's get you through this. And I had, you know, I had, my tipping point was failing an accounting exam and I am very diligent about my studies. And I've, I'd never really failed anything since, I don't know, sixth grade when I was home with the chicken pox or something and missed, missed a whole course load of material. And he was so supportive he got me some extra help for accounting, but more than that, he helped me find a therapist. He helped me just get back on my feet in that mm -hmm. environment and was so kind and continued to be so kind the entire two years I was there and always looking out for me. And um, on the anniversary of 9-11, I had been writing for the school paper and I wrote a piece called Moving On like a week or two after 9-11 um, to just explain what it was like for me in this context. And he ended up reading that out loud on the 9-11 anniversary in front of the whole school, sort of standing out there on this beautiful green lawn, actually, ironically, on the lawn facing the steps where my parents originally met. And that's why I was even alive. And like, here he is standing there reading my essay. And I don't know, it was just one of these moments that the universe throws your way. It does. Sometimes painful as the loss of Stacy or uh, Abby's father and other stories that you recount and sometimes yes. brilliantly life-giving like the one you're talking about right there. I'm going to fast forward just a little bit because there's so many topics that I want to discuss with you that I think relate to our listeners. You've talked about momzillas and this <laughs> period in your life. So we are fast forwarding now through this profound loss, through your first marriage into raising twins and then a third baby, and then a fourth baby, and trying to get along and trying to make sense out of everything. What is it? What is your section on Momzilla's really about? I decided to stay home with my kids. It was, I didn't know how I would feel once they were born, but it was very clear to me from day one that I was lucky enough to have the time with them. I'd always wanted to be a mom. I love kids. I still love kids. I was a camp counselor, babysitter since I was 10 years old. Like, I love kids. I want to be around kids all the time. So I really wanted to stay home. But it was not always easy. I mean, I, my whole life academically and everything, I had been put on this sort of track, right? Prep school and schools getting to get you into a better high school and to get you into better college, get you into a great business school. Like that was sort of the path that I was on academically. It was always thinking about the next step and how I could optimize what I was doing at the time to move on and working my hardest and staying up late at night, similar to my grandfather, actually. But I have always just worked until I fall asleep when you're a mom, yes, I was also working so hard. I was working around the clock, literally around the clock with no sleep, but it was a very different type of work. And I wasn't used to that. I felt like a lot of the moms, everybody was suddenly comparing themselves to each other because what, where, where is the rule book? What are we supposed to do? How are our kids supposed to be developing? Was I in this class? Was I in that class? And I was living in New York city where, uh, there, there are some very competitive women. I'm sure every, actually, I'm, I know everywhere because I have friends living all over the place who say that there are these types of women everywhere. Um, but as someone very sensitive and, you know, people pleasing and trying to do the right thing, um, 
I felt constantly sort of sh shot down by people who are like, well, you're not on the wait list for this class. Like you're, you're, you know, you're poor kids. Like, and I'm like, seriously, this one music class when they're, this doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, but it was hard, you know, part of staying home made me feel a little bit like, like an injured athlete, right? Like I had all this energy to do this other stuff. And yes, I was doing stuff and I was with the kids and I was happy, but something was missing. And I, I, I did feel incredibly overwhelmed and didn't have an outlet for, for me, the me that was inside or who I used to be, other than being a mom, I tend to throw myself into whatever I'm doing. Like I'm going to do a podcast. Great. I'm doing yeah. it seven days a week, 365 days a year. I'm, I have trouble with, um, you know, calibration, I guess, or anyway. Uh, so that time was hard. I mean, it was hard and four kids. I mean, when I found out I was pregnant with my fourth kid, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I, I am not, this is not for my personality type. I don't know if I can do this. You have four kids. I mean, how did you feel about it? It's a better question probably for my beautiful wife, Beth, who uh, at the end of the day, Beth was responsible for many of those late night feedings. I would help. I was helping with washing and everything else, but, but I hop on flights and go out of town frequently back then. And Beth was raising four kids, exhausted. You used the word a moment ago that I love because you can pivot it from negative to positive. But the word you said was overwhelmed my wife and we were overwhelmed and we needed help and we didn't know how bad we needed help. And I don't mean we as a couple, I mean, we as human beings needed help during that season. I look now at my youngest child is seven and my oldest, I have twins who are 15 and I have an almost nine-year-old and a seven, actually this week she'll be nine and a seven and a half year old. And, and I look at moms now I see on the street with like these really little ones. And I just want to like sit them down and like tell them my story and be like, listen, it's gonna, this is so hard and you're gonna get through this and like, just keep your head above water. You know, literally like now is that, that is what you are supposed to be doing now is you are in the pool and you just have to keep your head up enough to not drown. And, and you'll have time to like lay out by the pool and get a yeah. tan and read a book again. You will, but this is not that. This is like lifeguard training right now. And uh, you know, you will, you will join the rest of us on the banks of the shore soon. You talked in the past about bumping into a hedge fund fund manager who is doing that work downtown and then coming out to the recitals if they can make it and the work that they're doing and the lives that they're leading. And then you are in quotes, just, just a stay at home mom. And I've always thought what, what a difficult job for both of us, whether you are the hedge fund manager or you are just the stay at home mom, that both of us, both of us feel like we are not doing our jobs quite well enough. So for those of us raising kids today, whether they are in diapers or they are hopefully going to go off to college next year, what, what advice would you have for moms and dads who uh, are struggling with whether they are enough? Oh, I would say the job is not to, there is no, there is no right answer. There is no right path. There is no enough. It is about getting through the time and maintaining some dose of your own sanity. It's about not completely losing yourself. It is hard. Uh, it is wonderful. It is a time you will miss. I know this is trite. Everybody says these kinds of things and I'm still in it, but there's no perfect juggling. There's no perfect slicing of the pie, this much work, this much home, this, there's so many like books and articles on like how to do it and how to do this. Like it's about every day waking up and just trying to do your best. Mm. Maybe today's more work than yesterday. Maybe tomorrow I'll spend that time with this one kid who needs my attention, but I'll miss these deadlines or whatever. It's just 
waking up and having the intention to like do your best at that day and then do it again the next day. And that's how you get through and just do it all with as much kindness and love and um, more of a sense of humor. I mean, as I've gotten to be, uh, as my life has changed so much since I've been a mom, you know, I'm a different kind of mom now than I was before. And part of it is that I have much more of a sense of humor about all the crazy stuff that goes on. Whereas before I might cry, now I, I laugh so hard and um, it's it's almost a, a slight remove. So I guess that that tiny step back to yeah. be more observational and just be like, wow, this is crazy that my puppy is, you know, <laughs> literally attached to my pajama pants and my daughter's hobbling around on crutches and my little girl is like dancing on a table and like this is chaos but this is funny and this is life and I am so lucky to be in this moment and I'm not gonna waste all my time judging myself oh I'll, I'll do that at night as I fall asleep I always like assess the day how'd I do how'd I do on this how'd I do on that okay well blah 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 let me try again harder the next day but that's all we can do we can all we can do is try try again the next day Oh gosh, we could go in a million different directions on that. And and um, I think what I'll go into next is at age 38, as if you haven't had enough big chapters in your life, you have another big chapter coming to an end and a new one beginning. You've got a nine month old in diapers on your hip full time. You've got three older kids and then you go through a divorce. There's a part of that divorce that just struck me as painfully real because I've never been through one. I've actually never broken up with a girlfriend. My first and only girlfriend I'm married to today. So I'm incredibly blessed in that regard. But I have a whole lot of buddies and a whole lot of friends who've gone through this. And so you wrote, I'm going to quote you, that the hardest part was taking your four kids to your ex-husband's house, dropping them off, eventually having them say goodbye to you, usually with tears in both of your faces, the door shuts, and then you go home by yourself. You're a young mom. And then you wrote this. The hole in my heart wasn't closing. Nothing was helping as I wandered past the kids' empty bedrooms on those quiet nights when they were gone. I would stop occasionally to sit with the stuffed animals on my son's armchair and just cry in the dark. Talk about what it's like at age 38, halfway point in your life, to go through this, this painful loss. I mean, I, I don't like, I think, I'm hoping it's less than halfway. I, I'm That's right. It, a third like, of the way. A third uh, yeah, of the way. Okay, let's do a third. Let's, let's go with a third. I actually wrote a, a whole essay about this um, called, like, let's call it divorce pain, because it is a searing, scalding pain that people are like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, you're, you know, you but you'll get your kids back in a few days and it's fine. Or, you know, I understand that must be tough, but how lucky you get to sleep and you get to have this new life and wow, you get to go to brunch. You know, there is something so physically painful about having that forced separation from your kids. And I, and not me in particular, but I happen to be extremely close to my kids and viewed being a mom as like my identity, like that to not have the kids. I mean, by the time my kids go to college, like I, I got over this so long ago, do you know what I mean? Like I have gotten used to it. Not that it makes it any easier, but it was, uh, it still is. I mean, not, I don't sob every time anymore. Uh, it's been many years, you know, I've been remarried now for five years. This is all in the past, but not having legal control of your kids, even just for the weekend, yeah. not being allowed to see them, or in the same city when, where you know where they are, like 
you can't pick them up from school, even though you're just sitting there and would love to, because you're someone else is picking them up. It's not your day. And anyway, it's, um, it, it was incredibly painful. I, I filled it honestly with this new career and books and writing and podcasting and all this stuff and reading because I did have time and I was inconsolably depressed at times about it. And, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I posted on Instagram at the time one night, just do I leave their bedroom doors open or closed? I just took a picture of this door. Like I didn't know. Cause it's so dark inside and like the shades weren't drawn. Like I had left them up cause the kids weren't in the rooms, you know? So like the light from all the cars in the street and it's like shining in and they're made beds at night when it should be light and we should be reading books and jumping. And anyway, yes. Um, woe is me. I know. I don't mean to complain. I know so many people have gone through divorce and, um, I was lucky enough to be, you know, financially secure and it's okay. I didn't have to worry about that. I was just, it was just the emotional pain. So I was blessed in many ways, but, um, that longing for kids is something just so universal for anyone who's been separated, not to talk politics or in any way, but even just the, the war in Ukraine now with when all those pictures of people like waving goodbye and the men saying it just like, I just cry and cry to be separated men or women. I mean, it is, awful. So anyway, long answer. (laughs) You mentioned Ukraine and many of us experience that pain of separation, whether it's by death or divorce or time or space or whatever it might be. What were some things you did that helped you feel that pain to help replace it with something beneficial that the rest of us might benefit from? First of all, my mother started calling me every single drop off time, right? It was Thursdays at six. Uh, I would walk away sort of crying and my phone would ring and it would be enough to like get me home and on to the next. You know, I was lucky in that soon after I was in a new relationship and very much in love and then got married again. So I, I did have that. So I would recommend that. That was good. That was a good distraction. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. But- Yeah. Thank you, Kyle. But I also really turned to books. Um, A therapist I saw at the time was like, remember you love books, you know, with a good book, you'll never be lonely. So I really got back into that. There, there are seasons of reading in everybody's life when we're, we go into certain books or others, or we're too busy or we're not. So I really rediscovered books and all the ones that were coming out at the time. I started writing more. I wrote this article for HuffPost called A Mother's Right to Sanity after I'd been asked to bring in empty toilet paper rolls to my kid's preschool class. And I'm like, seriously, I am not doing that. Like, I am not doing that. And that went a little viral overnight. I had something like 65,000 people read it while I was sleeping. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm not the only one who feels this way. So that encouraged me to keep writing. And I think finding things that like, I'd always been interested in reading and writing and had let it slip or had put it on the back burner. So finding things that used to make, bring me joy and bringing those back in, I started traveling a lot. Um, Again, very lucky to be able to do that, but seeing parts of the world I hadn't visited, having new experiences, seeing old friends. I could go and visit a friend from high school who lived across the country and, and just trying to structure the time. But, but mostly it was filling my life with purpose um, and the sense that I could help other people who might be feeling the same way as I was feeling, writing things and relating to people and, and letting them know like, gosh, you know, this is tough. And we're all going to get through it and it's okay that you feel this way. Um, and that made me feel better too. 
you also started a podcast and I think it ties perfectly into everything else. She just dropped care, dropped crumbs toward, but you begin a podcast you've had on hundreds of guests. And I could ask you about, I'm looking at names right now, Mitch album, Nicholas Sparks, Jamie Lee Curtis, Alicia Keys, on and on and on from there. But I'm going to ask you about a guest that uh, I would imagine was a meaningful conversation for you to have a gentleman named Steve Schwarzman. <laughs> Who is Steven Schwarzman and why in the world did you have him on your podcast? You have all these incredible lit literary folks on your podcast, but you have Steve on. Who is he? <laughs> That's my dad. That was my favorite podcast of all time. I, I brought my little microphone into his office and got all set up at his conference table. And he just looked at me like as I was plugging everything in and, you know, testing things and with this like <laughs> amusement on his face, like, what is she doing? No, it was great. My dad wrote a book called what it takes. And it's a, a it's a wonderful book with, a, which has also helped like a bazillion people uh, who have been reading it. It's, it's business, but it's life lessons and um, his whole story. And uh, he founded a company called Blackstone, which has grown and grown over the years and become a public company. And um, he has become a huge philanthropist and also still chairman of his company and working hard all the time. So I got to interview him about his book and that was really, really wonderful and just an experience like nothing else. So <laughs> So I've had, including you now, almost 600 friends on our podcast, some really remarkable human beings. And my first and my favorite was not my dad because dad has Parkinson's disease and can no longer speak clearly enough to be understood on a podcast, but his caretaker, his partner, his wife, my mom, and it is also my favorite. So I, I found that really cool that you brought dad onto your podcast. <laughs> we'll get to the end of your most recent book titled Bookends. What's the one thing you hope they leave with? I hope they leave, it sounds cheesy, but I do hope they leave inspired. I know just to tie into this whole, you know, podcast. Zibby, you'll have to come up with your own takeaway. Okay, I'll come up with my own takeaway. Um, I want them to leave <laughs> knowing that they're not alone, that now is the time, right? I, my life, when I thought my life was going one way many times, and then it shifted. Some of those times were out of my control because of profound loss. Some of them were my own doing when I rediscovered things I was interested in or became entrepreneurial myself. And I was at home with the kids for 11 years. I only started the podcast a little over four years ago. It's now become this really successful podcast and I've had 1200 guests and I do it every day and it's led to all these people and amazing things. And, you know, I set out to write a book, but I ended up forming this whole community with so much love and so much connection. It was, it's so much that I, more than I could ever have dreamed of that now that the book is coming out and that's wonderful. I'm so excited, but it's almost like the book is just gravy on the whole experience. And I feel like I'm doing what I was put here to do. And it is, it's a, it's a feeling that has me jumping out of bed at 4.30 most mornings. And, um, I want everybody else to find that. I want everybody to stop, you know, this, this family friend, it keeps saying, oh, well, yeah, yeah, I'm good at giving gifts, but like, this is nothing special. And I'm like, what? Like, you're so uniquely talented. You should do a whole business if you want around, um, you know, this hospitality, like everyone has this something that they have to give. And um, I think for moms in particular, um, or people who have stayed home with caregivers who have stayed at home with kids, moms or dads or whatever, who have put their lives a little bit on hold, it's not too late to get back in this game. Like this game is life. This is all we have is this one chance to do what we can. And you didn't miss the boat. 
the boat is right there. You just hop back on. It might not be the easiest path, but you can do it. And it's exciting and it's an exciting time. And just, you can start tomorrow. So I, I just want people to know things are not set. What you've, what you've accepted as life, it could actually be more than that. And you can do that. You can, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Zibby, grab your yacht shoes, tie them up tight because we're going to jump on the boat as it gets ready to leave Harbor. We have two and a half minutes left on the Live Inspired podcast. So we're, we're going to race through what we call the Live Inspired Seven. There's seven questions that from my mother all the way up to you ties all of our guests together. And the very first question asked of her and now you, although you probably read more than my sweet mom, Zibby, what is the best or most influential book you've ever read? Slow Motion by Danny Shapiro, because it was the first memoir I had uh, really read and it turned me on to the whole category and inspired me to eventually write my own. What's one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a little girl growing up that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? I don't know, my cross kick in soccer or something? <laughs> what did I have as a kid? I would serve you well as a... <laughs> woman out there I'm sure just those powerful cross kicks <laughs> okay so how about this one if your home caught fire and your babies are out safely the pets are out safely Kyle's out safely and you had an opportunity to run in and grab one item what's the one thing you would come racing back out with I actually do think about this often <laughs> imagining these scenarios um I try to get as big a stack of pictures as, as I could is there one on top I'd really want one of my grandmother, my grandmother Goggy. I'd want to have that. Awesome. Thank you. If you could sit on a bench and have a long conversation with anyone living or deceased, who would you want to be seated next to? Kyle. <laughs> That's awesome. And for those just tuning in, Kyle is our guest husband. So congratulations on that. What's the best advice Kyle or anyone else has ever given you? Don't miss the plot. Wow. What advice would you give yourself at age 20? Someday this will all make sense. Zibby owns it has been said that all great people and authors and podcast hosts and moms and leaders in life can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? <laughs> I don't know. I'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, she will. I think she has. And my friends, uh, I think her work points us toward how we can figure it out too. Zibi, I want to thank you for your vulnerability, for your authenticity, for being real and for being someone that uh, not only do I look up to and follow, but someone that has inspired me greatly in my life. That is so nice. This is so moving. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I have so much respect for you and admiration. And to hear you say that just like gives me chills. This is so nice. Thank you. My friends, that is Zibby Owens. My name is John O'Leary. Today is our day. Let's choose to live inspired. Well, my friends, I'm always looking for that one takeaway when our guests are on these episodes. And I'm looking for that quote to share with you or the challenge the guests mentioned, maybe a book that they read, a place they went, a tool or technique that worked well for them that you and I can implement in our lives. But today it's going to be a little bit different. It's not what Zibby said. It's what she did not talk about. She grew up in profound affluence. 
But she didn't talk about that, did she? She went to a college called Yale, but she didn't drop that name once, did she? She got her master's in business from a little place called Harvard University, but she didn't talk about the Harvard Business School, did she? She has built an incredible life, I think, in part because of her humility. And when I think about great leaders in life, one of the, my favorite characteristics that they model and one of the least celebrated today in society is humility. Humility. You don't need to go to Harvard or Yale or grow up in affluence to practice humility. You and I, my friends, and the way you and I navigate our work, our relationships, our lives, our political beliefs, the way we work out, the way we worship, the way we walk through our journey, when we do so with humility, it is a wonderful way to attract others to what we know to be true. So as you are trying to evangelize, as you are trying to build up a life that is worthy and impactful, why not practice what Zibby does? Be humble in all things and watch what happens as you build that life going forward. And I want to remind you, it is that time of year. We are about halfway through 2022. Can you believe it? I know fireworks are no longer going off in the sky. We are past July 4th. We are more than halfway through it. Well, I went back through with the help of Amy, our podcast technicians, to the archives to see which Live Inspired podcast episodes have been downloaded, listened to, and rated most highly by you, our Live Inspired community, so far this year. And if you want to check out what the top 10 list has to show and offer you, I encourage it. You can check out that list, among other resources, at our primary website. Learn more at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. Yeah, we made our top 10 list. We checked it twice. You won't want to miss it. Check it out today. johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. Well, my humble friends, part of the Live Inspired community, thank you for being part of our family. For this time, and until next time, my name is John O'Leary. Today is our day. What a gift. Live inspired. One thing I love most about my friends at Keeley Companies is their spirit and their passion for giving back to their communities across the nation. Keeley Companies was recently named a top corporate philanthropist by the St. Louis Business Journal. And I could not think of a more deserving organization to receive that honor. In 2021 alone, the Keeley Cares Foundation served countless people in need, donated more than $2 million, and served for more than 20,000 hours. On top of that, they added an astounding 13 new charities to their ever-growing wall of compassion here at the Live Inspired Podcast, we are proud to partner with Keeley Cares throughout the year, improving our communities with time, with talent, and with treasure. You can learn more about their unbelievable impact by visiting them online at keeleycompanies.com.